An educated public makes good decisions. An uneducated public or a public that has been misled makes very bad decisions. And those decisions are not just going to be felt by those who enjoy hunting mountain lions or bobcats in Arizona. They're going to be felt by wildlife managers all over. And, and the repercussions of these decisions, taking wildlife management out of the hands of the scientists and wildlife managers and putting it into a misinformed public, the long-term effects of that are, are downright scary. There's nothing wrong with people being somewhat offended by blood and gore. Most folks don't want to see that, and they're not seeing it from your perspective, like, oh my God, that was a hell of a shot. You know, mm -hmm. that killed that animal quickly. They're seeing it from a completely different perspective. That, that's fine. And it's also fine for you to be thoughtful in how you portray this thing that we love to do. And quite honestly, if you want to keep it around for your children and their children, you better damn well start being thinking about that because it matters, um, especially in today's day and age. Predator populations, whether that be bobcats, lions, and bears, uh, are very carefully regulated by wildlife scientists. You kill a bear or you kill a lion, you have something like 24 hours um, to take the, the head, the hide, proof of sex into game and fish. They're going to take a tooth um, so they can determine the age of that animal. And they track these populations very carefully so we do not over harvest them. If we want to keep robust wildlife populations on the landscape, if we want to keep our public lands in the public's hands, if we want to keep access to all of this, we need to keep maintain and keep acting under this, this model of conservation we have. And we need an army of hunters and anglers on the landscape who have that connection, who are willing to stand up for these things. So whether you like hunting or not, if you enjoy having the outdoors, if you enjoy accessible to you, if you enjoy having robust wildlife populations, on the landscape you should probably support hunters hey guys welcome to 2024 thank you for all the years of support been at this a long time and uh, appreciate you sticking with me and if you're a new listener thank you for tuning in if you could help me out by going to itunes or spotify and leaving us a review really appreciate it. it helps me keep this free speaking of keeping this free check out phoenix shooting bags use promo code john stallone to save 20% on everything that they have. And lastly, if you could, do yourself a favor, help protect hunting, help protect your heritage, and get involved with Howl for Wildlife. That's howlforwildlife.org. Go check it out, get involved. Without further ado, let's jump into this episode. So in this episode, I was asked to collaborate with a fellow podcaster beyond their show. So I decided to... Uh, repackage it and air it on my show to share that information with you guys. So check it out. Check out uh, these guys' podcast. Thanks. For the listeners, this one is a little bit convoluted. Um, I'm here with a John Stallone and <laughs> this is already <laughs> awkward. Um, this is going to run on both of our podcasts. Uh, I have the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast. And I'll let John tell you about his. So I guess we're, we're both hosts. We're both guests here. And since I'm already talking, I'll go ahead and do a quick intro for myself and my org, and then I'll uh, pass it over to John. So my name is Michael Cravens. I'm the advocacy and conservation director for the Arizona Wildlife Federation. And you know, the Arizona Wildlife Federation, I like to brag, is 100 years old, making it the oldest conservation organization in the state. We work while our 
our roots are in sporting. We were formed back in 1923. Uh, Aldo Leopold actually called our first meeting into order. But we were formed to create the first commission for wildlife management in Arizona to take it out of the hands of the legislature and put it into a science-based commission, which I'm happy to say is still the case today. But as far as our work goes, we work on a lot of things. We work on education. We work on boots on the ground, volunteer habitat improvements and restorations. And we work in advocacy. And that's my primary role. You know, I'm I'm down at the Capitol a lot. I, I like to tell folks that I think we're the only conservation organization in the state that truly has our finger on the pulse of the legislature. So we're always tracking good bills, bad bills, lifting them up, stomping them down, whatever's necessary, uh, working for our wildlife, our public lands, our access to those public lands and our heritage of hunting and angling. And that's what we're talking about here today that we'll get more into, but our potential hunting bans in the state of Arizona. So you will be able to find this show on my podcast, the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast, and I'm going to pass it on over to John now. How's it going? <laughs> That's good, John. How good, good, good. So, um, yes, John Stallone. I feel like I'm quite a bit louder than you. He's coming through good on my end. Okay. All right. for, for what it's worth, this platform records us separately, so it can all be adjusted in the end. Nice. So, yes, I'm John Stallone, Vice President of Halfal Wildlife. And uh, I'm going to be speaking today with Michael Cravens from the Arizona Wildlife Federation. And uh, we're going to talk at some of the things that are going on around the country right now, but specifically how that might kind of bleed into what we got going on here in Arizona. So, All right. So who's going to kick this off then? Yeah, go for it. I'm going to say do this podcast the way you envision doing it, podcast for you. Don't worry about how I'm going to release it and it'll just, it'll go. Okay. I feel like you got your finger on the pulse more than I do when it comes to specifically to Arizona, even though I live here. One of the problems with being focused on the whole country is that you can't be micro focused on any specific right. issue that's right. going on. So, okay. All right. Well, if though, for those folks who follow the work that Hal does, you'll already know this. I would say that Washington state is kind of the poster child for having issues with wildlife management and hunting and angling. There, but uh, also among <laughs> Washington, or Washington, Oregon, Colorado right yeah. now. Yeah. Right. Colorado was where I was going next. Right now, Colorado is dealing with, with you know, uh, to simplify it, a cat hunting ban um, or a trophy hunting ban. And there's so much nuance to all of this stuff, like trophy hunting. I'm sure we're going to get into that. But we're concerned because, you know, we see these happen. They've happened in the past in Arizona. So we're seeing a lot of activity on this front. Being that we have had this attempt to ban cat hunting in Arizona, we're, we're concerned about this uh, making the rounds and coming back and being faced with it again. Now, the issue here is these campaigns are primarily ran by uh, the Humane Society of the United States. And they have largely failed in the legislature. So the move has gone to a ballot initiative. Now, the reason this is so scary is because an educated public makes good decisions. An uneducated public or a public that has been misled 
makes very bad decisions. And those decisions are not just going to be felt by those who enjoy hunting mountain lions or bobcats in Arizona. They're mm-hmm. going to be felt by wildlife managers all over. And, and the repercussions of these decisions, taking wildlife management out of the hands of the scientists and wildlife managers and putting it into a misinformed public, the long-term effects of that are, are downright scary. So, absolutely, if, you know, and I'm going to say this because, you know, the Arizona Wildlife Federation, again, while we're in sporting, we, you know, lift up all outdoor recreation, whether that's, you know, family campers or bird watchers or hikers, as well as hunting and angler, hunters and anglers. And we, we really pride ourselves on trying to bring those two groups together. So we do have a little bit wider of an audience and can reach some of these other folks. And, and unfortunately, you know, in the sporting community, a lot of times when we're talking about this stuff, we're in echo chambers. We're talking to ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, so we need to find, and we'll get into tactics here in a bit, but we need to find a way to reach those other folks. So John, as I'm talking about this, I'm going to be talking as if I'm talking to everyone and not just the sporting community. Sure. Absolutely. So you said something that uh, kind of resonated with me and educated, an educated public makes, you know, good decisions. The problem is, is whose education are they receiving? Right. Well, that's the difference between education and propaganda. Right. So exactly. In, in Arizona, when this came up before and, and when it comes up again, you will probably see billboards with jaguars and ocelots, mm-hmm. um, you know, and to be 100% crystal clear, these are not animals we hunt in Arizona, nor is there any push to hunt these animals, nor is there any real desire to hunt these animals. These are very rare, very endangered animals and hunters in general very much care about healthy ecosystems, healthy wildlife populations. Um, There's no push to pursue these animals at all. On the converse, bobcats, mountain lions, their populations are doing great. And that includes bears too. Mm -hmm. They're healthy. You know, we've got... Well, all right. Before, before I get into all this, John, do you want to add anything in here before I like jump into the North American model and all of that? Well, I, I just... One of the things, and I don't know if this is the right point to interject this or not, but Mm -hmm. you're talking about bears and lions and bobcats. And I think one of the main things that is misconstrued by the other side on purpose is to lead people to believe that these are all inedible, that we only hunt them for hides and heads their narrative is that we basically go there, we lop off the head and we leave the rest out there to, you know, to waste, even though there's laws in place that would prevent us from doing that. Uh, especially with mountain lion and bear, uh, bobcat, I don't, I don't believe you're required to take a bobcat, but I don't know any hunters that don't take it. So that's one of the pictures that they're painting. And that's part of their grandiose or grander narrative that they've been trying to portray the hunter and the, I don't even like to use the word sportsman. Um, I, I like mm-hmm. to use the out, word outdoorsman, okay. how they're trying to portray the outdoorsman, you know, since, I don't know, for the last 50 years or so, you think about Bambi, you think about any of these movies, the hunter is never the hero. He's always the anti-hero or the protagonist right. or the creepy or, you know, um, if you look at like Elmer Fudd or mm-hmm. you're never, the hunter is never shown in a positive light, you know, and if you, if you go back a hundred years, 
the hunters were the heroes. Those were the, the providers. Those were the people who, and it was so we're not that far removed from that. No, no. I know, mean, human you know, history shows that the hunter for, for millennia have been the guy or the girl. And now it's, uh, it's not that way that there's yeah. all of a sudden there's a shift. So, right. Yeah. The most ardent vegan in the world comes from a very long, like hundreds of thousands of years of su successful hunters or, or they would not be here, mm -hmm. but that's an argument that would probably fall short. But to summarize, uh, John, what, what you're saying is, one, the misinformation is going to come in the form of misrepresenting endangered species that, and, and make it look like hunters want to pursue these animals. And the fact that this is purely trophy hunting. I can tell you for a fact that cats are delicious. John, last year, in fact, last time I probably saw you in person mm -hmm. was at our annual camo at the Capitol event where yeah, we Bob get together yeah, all the conservation orgs and we serve up wild game dishes to our state legislators and staff and down at the Capitol. And I served over 50 bobcat tamales to folks that I would say 95% were not hunters. Mm -hmm. um, and that one person turned their nose up and everyone enjoyed them. Yep. Um, cats are really good. And I don't know a hunter that would leave one in the field. Uh, with that, we have wanton waste laws on animals like mountain lions that legally prevent folks from leaving that meat in the field. So this is not a trophy hunt. And it, God, the, the trophy term is, is so nuanced and, and means so many different things that it's... Well, you can't uh, define it. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, right. But, you know, I will say that the hunting of mature animals is, is a great way to manage wildlife. It, it's taking animals that have already reproduced, passed on their genes into those those populations and taking them out at the end of their, their reproductive lives. So a large, mature male animal is, from a managing perspective, the best animal to remove from a population. But that's a conversation that we could go in and make a whole podcast about. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to get too deep into those weeds. But so that that's the misinformation side. That that's a side that, you know, these I would say good intended but really misinformed people are going to try to lead the general public to believe. We know this is not the case and we need to do a better job of educating the public. Um and that that's going to come in a couple forms. Uh I want to talk about hunters policing themselves, but we can we can save that. But from the education piece, I would like to remind folks that 100 years ago, we had no regulation regarding wildlife. Folks could go out, and I'm sorry, the, a lot of the, these laws and things were coming into place 100 years ago. So this right. is a problem we were working on up to 100 years ago. There were no laws and regulation around the take of wildlife in North America. You know, the country was still relatively new, and we had uh, abundant wild places and abundant wildlife. And there was a market value for that wildlife. So market hunters at the time, you know, these are just regular Joes trying to, to make a paycheck, not meaning any harm. You know, they, they went out and they capitalized on this resource, whether that be bison or white-tailed deer or whatever. And a lot of our big game species were, were literally point, uh, pushed to the point of, of almost extinction. So thank you to forward thinkers like Pinchot and Roosevelt. We, we formed this you know, the, these game laws that were were designed around only taking surplus and encouraging 
population growth and, and sustainability of all of this wildlife that, that we all valued so much. So fast forward to now. Now we are living in the good old days of wildlife again. Mm-hmm. Um, we have populations of bears and, and lions, you know, uh, I can say unsubstantiated, some of unsubstantiatedly, those animals are doing better now than they were a hundred years ago. And it's because of one thing. It's because of this North American model of wildlife conservation that we have. Absolutely. But the majority of sportsmen, outdoorsmen don't understand that. So it's, if they don't understand that, how do we expect the non-hunting public, the voting right. public right. to understand to that? I, I would also like to add to the importance that I think the general populace needs to understand. And sometimes I describe this like this. If you take a pie chart, right, and you take a little slice of that pie, that little slice is going to be your general, and I shouldn't say it, visualize this however, you know, you want it to make sense in your head. A smaller section of that pie is going to be your general outdoor recreationists, whether that's bird watchers, hikers, campers, folks like that, folks that appreciate wildlife and enjoy the outdoors but then you take even tinier slice of that pie and those are the outdoor recreationists that really dig into conservation that care that do the work that put their money where their mouth is that's a tiny slice the rest of that pie is literally made up of hunters and anglers there is something about having this tangible connection to wildlife the ability to go out into the field, harvest an animal, bring it home, feed your family with it, that makes you want to put more back into it than the general outdoor recreations. Mm-hmm. And I know there's exceptions to that rule, so I don't want folks to get mad at me for saying that. But without question, on the whole, that's the case. Yep. We have all of this because we have the sporting community, our hunter and angler community, that has the connection to these animals and these places and wants to keep them around forever. Yeah, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that outdoorsmen are participants in conservation versus being a preservationist and being a observational, you yeah. know, observationist. Yeah. And so when you have a little bit more vested stake in in what you're doing, you tend to care about it more. You tend to do things that will keep it going for perpetuity, you know, like, right. so you you want to see animals succeed. You want to see habitat flourish. You want to see all the cogs moving in the right direction so that, you know, somebody in your lineage, somebody down the line, you could pass it to them. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, it is hard for us. And, and it, it, in the sense that we can't just show a picture like an mm-hmm. anti-hunter can, of a dead deer or whatever the case may be and, and spit out a narrative that he gets easily consumed by somebody who doesn't know. Yeah. It makes it very difficult for us to explain this very nuanced, this very in-depth feeling of wanting to hunt something, but also caring about it deeply that we want to see it flourish. Right. And it's not so much, it's not as linear as like taking care of animals or something because 
your livelihood depends on it. Like you, the more animals you have, the more money you make or whatever. It's, it's different than that. It's not like we just, we don't want to have more animals just because it means we can hunt more. Yes. That's an awesome byproduct. And I'm any hunter would lie to you. Misconception. Yeah. Yeah. Any hunter would lie to you if they said that wasn't the case. Like, you know, we all want more opportunity. We're always bitching about, excuse my French about opportunity, but the reality is that we want to see, you know, we enjoy going out there and just like a bird watcher and seeing what nature has to, has to provide for us for that day, you know? Right. So it's like being able to explain that in the way that information is disseminated now, you know, via social media or whatever, everything is like, you know, so fast, like there's no, right. yeah it's hard to have to pass on that idea to people. So for me, like I think one of the biggest things that we need as a community, speaking as the hunting community to get that messaging across is to have these conversations with people. I think a grassroots effort, you know, we're, we're going to have to do what we need to do and, you know, in social media, mass media, mainstream, all that stuff. But I think where the message is going to do the most good is the sportsmen listening to this, the outdoorsmen listening to this, educating themselves on the North American model of conservation, number one, but also thinking about their own personal experience with hunting and what it means to them, the human side of it, mm-hmm. the meals, the camaraderie, the heritage, the the time of field, the disconnecting, whatever, all the human uh, intrinsic values that go along with what you do. Think yeah. about that and package that in a couple second conversation piece in your head and having that at the ready that when you, uh, when you recognize an opportunity to speak to somebody at the water cooler or in the break room or out on the job site or whatever... <laughs> And you're having this conversation with somebody who may or may not hunt or fish, they can understand where you're coming from. They can see the different sides of what hunting and fishing and being an outdoorsman means. And if something were to pop up on the ballot, like they're being faced with in Colorado right now, mm-hmm. potentially, I should say, because it's not technically on the ballot yet, you more than likely have created a sympathetic voter with you because now they have an understanding now when they see the propaganda they're going to be skeptical of it when they get the one-liners and and they're like well you know i know mike 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 and i had this conversation you know and he explained to me this this this, and that and you know he's a good guy and um yeah i don't i don't think i'm gonna vote that way i think i'm gonna vote this way and i think Mm -hmm. that's I think that's where the, I hate to put it this way, but that's where the war is won. You know, mm-hmm. that's the only way, not the only way, but it is the best way that we as a community can share the truth, share the education, mm-hmm. not the propaganda, because right. the other side's been building a war chest for yes for a very long time they got a yeah. lot of money so specifically like in this colorado thing they're poised to spend a million dollars a week and pump mm-hmm. their messaging into 
you know, Boulder and Denver and all these places where right. there may or may not be people that hunt that don't understand what hunting is, but they have, mm-hmm. you know, they want to be on the right side of stuff. You know, they want to do the right thing. So right. if I'm telling you that killing mountain lions is the right thing to do, and I'm showing you these, you know, kittens and fuzzy creatures and whatever, you're going to, you're going to buy it. You're going to drink the Kool-Aid. You're going to buy into that very easily. But that's why it's on us like to have these conversations, to have these, these moments so that people can get a better understanding. Cause even if we had the money that they have, like I said, they have a much easier job. I got, I actually got a great story that, that goes along with this. So a couple years ago, a hunter posted a picture of a fawn laying next to his 3D target. And the 3D target was laying on its side in the grass. And he just snapped the picture. He thought it was cool. There was a fawn laying next to his 3D target. Well, an anti-hunter got a hold of that that picture and posted something to the effect like, where have we gone wrong? This poor uh, fawn thinks that this is his dead mom or something yeah, something yeah. along those lines but it got like crazy traction on social media mm-hmm. but that narrative it was so easy to believe but the the real narrative was the original post from the the hunter was check out this fawn he's cool you know it was it's so it was so cool to see him laying next to you know that my 3D target which I laid down on the ground because I didn't want the bucks to hit it, you know, during the rut or whatever. And later on, the mother came and collected the fawn and they went back in the woods together. Right. Like that was what was what actually happened. And, you know, it was a much longer story that couldn't be said with, you know, if you don't read, if you don't read the whole caption, you're not going to yeah. get the whole story. All they have to do is put one-liner captions on things and they succeed in their mission where we have a much harder time trying to get that messaging across. That's why right. it's it's got to be like this long-form dialect between you know you and somebody who does not know you and the I say you the the sportsman who's listening sure. and the non-hunter, you know, the non-fishing community. Yeah. So yeah. Well, John, before we, we carry on with what we can do as a community to help curb this stuff, I want I want to backpedal one more time and just make it clear that there are exceptional, engaged, committed conservationists that are not hunters. And there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. But what I mean by they're not being enough are that outdoor recreation sector not being committed the way hunters and anglers are. What I'm referring to there is like back in Missouri, we have a little tiny bit of public land, but boy, if you go out there during rifle deer season, it is an orange army. And those guys are what I'm talking about. Cause a lot of those guys, those, those grandfathers that are, are taking their grandchildren out and introducing them to this thing and are passing this along. Those folks, you know, they're hardworking people. Mm-hmm. They don't have a lot of time to give a crap about what's going on, you know, conservation wise around the country or even in their own backyards if they didn't have that reason to care. And we need those people. That is an army of people, Mm -hmm. a massive amount of money getting poured into this. So whether you like hunting or not, that community is paying for conservation and we're lucky to have them. Right. 
Well, that's the thing too. Like that's the con- part of the conversation you need to have at the water cooler. You need to be able to explain. Most people don't understand. They wouldn't be able to see, you know, elk. They wouldn't be able to access uh, that trail or go mountain biking or hiking or whatever if it wasn't for the efforts of outdoorsmen and mm-hmm. PR funds and license yeah. sales and all these other things that go into these that pay for these like we we again you know not not all sportsmen and not all outdoorsmen understand that it is it is a user pay system but i can guarantee you if only 20% of the outdoorsmen understand that that way less of the non-hunting public understands that you know i actually had a uh was doing a workout group and i had about 15 i call them kids they're you know in their 20s 15 guys in in this that, that, that's that's brazen of you to get a bunch of 20 year olds i don't know if I, i'd have the ego for that man you know we were we were doing this workout class and i and i i stopped there we, something came up about me being a bow hunter and um it was that i think it was at the time i still had a tv show or whatever but and they brought it up and I, I said, you know what? I want to ask you guys something. And I said, give me a show of hands. How many of you know where the money comes from to pay for conservation, to regulate and um, you know set season dates, the, the game and fish? Where, where, is, where is that money coming? Every one of them raised their hands. And I knew, I knew exactly what they were, where their brain was going. So I asked the first kid and he was like, my taxes, next person, same answer, taxes, taxes, my taxes. And then I explained to him like, well, guess what? You guys are wrong. You know, your taxes, your income taxes, your property taxes, they don't go unless you're specifically buying, you know, things that are part of the PR system. There is no taxing going towards what you think they, it's going towards. Yeah, all these, yeah, all this yeah. stuff is paid for by this, 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 and that. And they were all floored about it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's an uphill battle to get this messaging across. And I, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, well, one hunters, hunters in general, I think we like to keep to ourselves, right? You know, we have, most hunters have that mentality is you do you, I do me. And I'd say that was before social media. True. I mean, yeah, and no, yes and no, but yes, I, I, I think mm. this generation right now, the current last two generations, I think we might've missed it. You and me, but <laughs> I'm still doing it too, man. <laughs> <laughs> we might've missed it. You and me a little bit, but yeah, yeah I do. Listen, uh, there's, there's plenty. I, I, I speak my mind a lot. I'm, I'm not definitely not, uh, I'm not one to, uh, not share my opinion, but yeah. you know, there's a lot of that. Like I, I don't want to impose my life on you type of right. scenario. Okay. I follow okay. You. And with that, we don't get involved in stuff. Yeah. We, you know, like I can't, I, when I first started, you know, when Charles and I first started getting, doing health for wildlife, I can't tell you how many times we heard, well, cause we were using the word activism. Well, mm-hmm. it's like a dirty word. Activism is for, 
for the lip parts and this and that. Like you see, you heard all this stupid yeah. stuff and you're like, no, yeah. you, you, if you care about something, you have to be actively involved yeah, in you it. Be that's an advocate. Yeah. You got to be an advocate. Right. What I was trying to get at was I'm, I think that between that mindset and like, for instance, growing up when I, when I took my hunter's ed in New York at nine years old, the mindset, we were told to be recluse. Like we were told to be in the shadows. We were like, don't, don't display the deer. Don't talk about hunting. Don't, you know, don't put it in other people's faces. So like that was, that was the thing. And now we're in this age where everything's in your face. Like you can't even go, you know, fart in a corner or whatever without somebody videoing it and throwing it Mm -hmm. up on social media. So everything that we do now is like, you know, when we take a picture of us with a gripping grin or whatever, you putting that up there, there's no, and you could put it really nice. I I encourage you to put a really great description and and caption of Mm -hmm. the whole story and what went behind it and and so on and so forth, because that's going to help. But the, the fact of the matter is most people don't look at that. Right. And all they're going to see is you with this dead animal and they're either going to draw their own conclusions or worse yet, the anti hunters are going to draw their conclusion for you. Right. And so this mindset of being quiet about it cannot be there any longer. We have to Mm -hmm. adapt to the times and the times right now are everybody knows everything about everybody and it's mostly self-inflicted, but we need to start showing all the human values, all the good things that hunting and fishing provide. Right. Right. I, I agree with you entirely, John. Um, and I, we've kind of inadvertently gotten into to this area I wanted to talk about anyway, and that's policing ourselves as hunters. Yeah. Um, you know, of the things that we can do to help combat this, you know, one of them is being thoughtful about how we portray ourselves. I've got a social media page, mm-hmm. you know, full of grip and grins, but I've also got lots of meals that I make with my family. I've got the experience out there and I try to be very careful about how I talk about things. And when I am posting those pictures of, of a harvested animal, I know some people don't like harvest, but I like harvest mm-hmm. of a harvested animal because it is something that you're going out and getting and bringing home. Right. Utilize. I'm careful about how I do it. I shot a a rabbit with my longbow the other day and posted a picture of myself holding that rabbit. If I had turned that rabbit around the other direction, it would have been a completely different picture. Believe me. Mm-hmm. It was a perfect shot. The rabbit didn't feel a thing. I was very proud, but the, the side of that rabbit I hit was not appropriate to display on, on social media. Right. Um, so I'm always very careful and thoughtful about that. It irks me when I see pictures uh, displayed of animals with, with blood all over and things like that. Cause that is not, and I think hunters, some of them, I mean, there's good and bad in all groups, right? I of mean, course. There's, there's, let's be honest. There's some shitbag hunters out there. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's some great ones, too. But some guys are just like, they get angry. You know, they're like, well, screw that. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Oh, a lot of people do, actually. Um, That's yeah, a very Man, you're shooting common. yourself in the foot. And quite honestly, there's nothing wrong with people being somewhat offended by blood and gore. Most folks don't want to see that. And they're not seeing it from your perspective. Like, oh, my God, that was a hell of a shot. You know, mm-hmm. that killed that animal quickly. They're seeing it from a completely different perspective. Right. And that that's fine. And it's also fine for you to be thoughtful in how you portray this thing that we love to do. And quite honestly, if you want to keep it around for your children and their children, you better damn well start being thinking about that. Right. Because it matters, um, especially in today's day and age. 
I'll add one more story in here that I've, I've probably told a couple of times on this podcast. So I apologize to the listeners, but um, I lived in the most, and this is not to be political. Uh, I promise you, I'm just trying to portray a picture here. I lived in the most left leaning neighborhood in the most left city in Arizona. Okay. Um, and I lived there for what, six, seven years. More of my, my neighbors were vegetarian vegans and then were not. And because I developed friendships with these really good, really thoughtful people, these are the people that would have signed that ballot initiative in a second before mm-hmm. they met me. And that sounds like I'm stroking my own ego here, I realize. But but living there and, and having a relationship with me, I could cut up a bear, you know, under the awning on my front porch and not a person in that neighborhood was going to complain about it. In fact, I would I would bring Havelina home, hang it up in the tree in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And all the kids would come over, all the neighborhood kids. We talk about processing. We talk about hunting. We talk about all the things we're going to make with these different cuts of meat. We talk about, of course, the internal organs and stuff. You can't avoid that stuff when you're with kids and what's what. And it was fascinating. And then at the end, I would take a, a back strap out of the javelina, hammer it out with some flour and, and fry it up and make javelina nuggets for the kids. Those are the ones that were allowed to eat them. Mm-hmm. And I did that all in the most left-leaning neighborhood in the most left city of Arizona. If I can do it, anybody can do it. Right. And it's not propaganda. I'm not trying to sell anything. No. I'm just being honest about what I do. And I'm that's what it is. It's showing the honesty, it's showing the truths. Because yeah. what's being weaponized against us is the is not the truth, <laughs> you know? Right. And um going back to like the, the photos and stuff like that, like listen, I, I have kill shots. I was a TV show host for a long time. I had a lot mm-hmm. of you know, because that's what's sold. You know, you you, especially during the golden days of TV. You know, outdoor TV. Like heck, there was even contracts where they're like, "Well, oh, we want you to show this, or we want you to show that." Like, but you got to look at it, like you said, from somebody else's perspective. And I don't want to tell people, "No, you cannot show a grip and grin. Don't, don't show." But also. You also need to show the meals, the camaraderie. You have to show what went into it. Tell the full story. I spent 15 days afield trying to get this elk. You know, I, 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 I worked out. I practiced my bow. I, you know, I scouted for 20. I did this and I did that. And this is what went into it. Because so many people think like a tag represents a dead animal. Right. And you and I know that (laughs) it's very far from the truth. Right. You know, unfortunately. So, I mean, if statistically, okay, I was just looking at, you know, across the board, Arizona archery deer is like a 13% success rate. So Mm -hmm. 13% of people fill their tags. Right. You know, just to give those who are listening to this an idea of what we're talking about, you know, so, they, just, they don't know that the tag just means it's an opportunity to possibly harvest an animal. Yeah. That's what that, that's what a tag is. It's a legal contract basically that says, Hey, I, you have the opportunity to shoot. Should it present right. itself? Shoot with this one species. You know, if you don't mind my interjecting, as long sure. as I'm saying that, I think it's important <laughs> to point out that predator populations, whether that be bobcats, lions, and bears uh, are very carefully regulated by wildlife scientists. 
Yep. You kill a bear or you kill a lion. You have, I'm going to mess this up. It's something like 24 hours um, to take the the head, the hide proof of sex into game and fish. They're going to take a tooth um, so they can determine the age of that animal. And they track these populations very carefully. So we do not over harvest them. Yep. And that, and that's, that's the thing that we want people to understand. They, we want them to know that we're doing this through a science-based Mm-hmm. You know, everything that is done is through science based. It should never be an opinion thing. We don't want it to be an opinion thing on our side, and we don't want it to be an opinion thing on the opposite side of the table. No, no. We, we don't want ballot box initiatives. We don't want to have people's emotions deciding what should and shouldn't be harvested. Because that can go both ways. You can have, mm-hmm. like you said, those bad eggs in the in our ranks sure. that would just take advantage of that and shoot anything willy nilly that they could. And then the flip side of that is you'd have those people that wouldn't want anything to be taken. And I think that's a very that anti hunting perspective is actually very anti wildlife. Because if you understood how wildlife works. Mm-hmm. And the balance of things and how things need to be controlled in a way that does the most good. Like yeah. the death of one deer might save a hundred deer. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pause you sure. here, John, because I feel like we do need to manage wildlife now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wildlife didn't need us before. Um and because of us, it does need us now because we've jacked everything up. The face of the planet, exactly. not just Arizona. We have improved habitat in a lot of ways, uh, but ultimately, you know, we've thrown a wrench into the whole game. So the face of the earth doesn't look like it did. Everything is fragmented. Um, there are genetic blockages to wildlife populations, whether that be, you know, Interstate 40 up here um, or, the, you know, agriculture fields, solar fields, wind farms, we've messed it up. So we need to be working on the ground to manage for wildlife in today's day and age. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's unfortunate. I mean, it sucks. I really don't like it either, but that's the world we live in, whether you like it or not. And ultimately, well, and I'll say one more and you, you might disagree with me and that's great because different perspectives are wonderful, but when it comes to predator hunting, Mm -hmm. so lions, bears, other cats, a lot of hunters say we have to manage these populations or look get out of control. That is not something I abide by. And I need to be very careful here. I'm not speaking for the Arizona Wildlife Federation on this. I'm speaking from my own opinion, you know, mm-hmm. based on my education in, in ecology. Predator populations do a great job of managing themselves. They will raise and lower with prey populations. Does that mean that we shouldn't hunt them because they can manage themselves? No. Folks tend to get really excited about animals that for whatever reason are more charismatic to them. So you can show a picture of a, if I, okay, my personal Facebook page has all kinds of wildlife people on there, not just hunters and anglers. If I show a picture of myself holding an elk, I am going to get a long list of attaboys, congratulations, what a beautiful animal, good for you, down the line, right? If I show a picture of myself holding a big old lion, which I'd love to do someday. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that that I consider close are going to be very upset with me. Yep. 
Why is that though? That elk is no less alive than that lion, you know? And as long as they are managed in a scientific manner to sustain those populations, what is the difference in viewing that animal as a resource that can be utilized in a sensible, practical way? There isn't any. <laughs> That's how I see it, John. There isn't any. We, and we just got it yeah. due to that to, to other folks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are trophic cascade arguments. And in minute cases, we can see that sort of thing. But overall, on a population level, on a landscape level, lions and bears are doing wonderfully. Mm -hmm. And we have been hunting them for the past hundred years under this model of conservation. I will build on that and say, if we want to keep robust wildlife populations on the landscape, if we want to keep our public lands in, well, <laughs> in the public's hands, if we want to keep access to all of this, we need to keep maintain and keep acting under this, this model of conservation we have. And we need an army of hunters and anglers on the landscape who have that connection, who are willing to stand up for these things. So whether you like hunting or not, if you enjoy having the outdoors, if you enjoy accessible to you, if you enjoy having robust wildlife populations on the landscape, you should probably support hunters. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and a real precise example of this would be like hunting in Africa, which everybody loves to hate, right? I don't even have any desire to go to Africa and kill a lion. I just don't. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't speak to me. But if you have a rancher who owns a giant ranch in Africa, right? The cattle he's raising on that ranch is what's valuable to him. Therefore, the lions that are killing those cattle all of a sudden, you know, become a problem for him. They're costing him a lot of money. He has no reason to keep those lions on his private property, and he won't. You'll have, you'll have them exterminated. You throw in rich American hunters, guys that I don't even connect with, but you throw <laughs> those guys in send them over there willing to pay a lot of money to go shoot one of those lions. Now that hunt that now that rancher, that landowner has a lot of initiative to keep lions and lion habitat healthy on his ranch. Yep. So you might not like this. This might sound all convoluted to you and you might even be right, but it is what it is. And there's people all over this planet that only care about what they care about. And this hunting thing, this allows us to continue to have robust wildlife populations. Yep. It does. I was going to say something earlier about the anti-hunting is basically anti-wildlife. So, you know, without getting into biology lesson here, and I'm sure you know about predator pits and all mm -hmm. this other things that can happen, but from a 30,000 foot view and, and put it in plain English, uh, and you kind of touched on this as well, but the idea if we left wildlife alone to do its thing, to let predators regulate prey and so on and so forth, it's not a reality anymore because it might've worked when there was like a couple million people on the planet <laughs> or even a billion people on the planet, but there's close to 8 billion of us now. And like you said before, our fingerprint is on everything, everything we touch, everything we do has an effect. You may never even step foot in the woods mm -hmm. and your cell phone that you just bought might have impact on the wild. So it's like on us as the intellectual beings of the planet to be the ones that 
manage everything and conserve that the, the word conservation is conserve. It means to use responsibly and make sure that there's a continued or the, the, excuse me, the ability to continue to use that resource forever. So that's why there needs to be balance. You know, you talked about, you know, the prey and the predators, but what happens now because we have roads everywhere, because there's all this fractured landscape and all this things that we go, we go out into, into the wild to extract other resources, wood and oil and whatever. Yep. Because all that goes on, you don't have this tight relationship between the prey and predator that you had before. And everything goes, it's not you know, slow ups and downs, it's peaks and valleys now, peaks and valleys. And so like, if you let everything go, you would have this like violent die off one way and then die off the other way. And then this would come back. And then that would, you know, it's like, it would go back and forth. It'd be this like ping pong match that doesn't, you know, it's not as pretty as you think it is going to be as a, as somebody who wants to be a preservationist or somebody who wants to be hands off. And then the flip side of it is like, because we're touching everything, because we're extracting things from our resources, other than the animals themselves, the funding's not going to be there. The mm-hmm. mechanism that we have in place to regulate and keep things and keep access and keep, you know, those things were not, you know, will not be there. It's like cutting off your nose to spite your face. So I think if the anti-hunters were to succeed in their mission and completely abolish any hunting or any, uh, anything that, uh, affects the welfare of animals, really, you know, cattle ranching, all that stuff is in their crosshairs, Mm -hmm. you know, Try to think about what the landscape would be. Try to think about what the world would be from economic standpoint, from the resources standpoint. From, like if they had a magic wand and they waved their wand right now and there were, nobody ate cattle and nobody you know, ate chicken and there was no more hunting and we didn't test cosmetics on animals. And, you know, All these things were to go away. Think about what that would leave you. And I think that's what people have to... Because that's what their goal is. I'm not saying that that's possible for them to get there. I mean, I guess it could be. You know, if everybody just laid down, it would probably happen. It could happen, I guess. Right. But, you know, (laughs) to put that a little more precisely, um, you know, I I think the vast majority of human beings, uh, including the sporting community, have finally at least gotten on board that our climate is changing. Mm -hmm. Be that what it is, however it started, our climate's changing. We live in the Southwest. Okay. We've already developed lots of the areas that were once wet. Mm-hmm. We've sucked up all the groundwater that has a direct connection to surface water. I've heard some groups complain about having tanks or for people back East ponds on the landscape because we're artificially inflating wildlife populations. And of course the argument is we're doing that because we want more animals to kill. Mm-hmm. Fact is, climate is changing. The Southwest was already dry. It's getting drier. We've already developed those areas that were once wet. Okay. We have had a detrimental effect 
outside of hunting on wildlife in the Southwest. If we want to keep wildlife in the Southwest, you know, and, and I'm not promoting overgrazing. I, you know, I, I'm a cows, not condos kind of guy, but I also yeah. don't like cows tearing up the landscape. But if it wasn't for cattlemen and hunters putting water on the landscape, we would not have what we have today. And it's sad. It's unfortunate. That's a place that we live in, but it's not because of hunting. It's because of the same people mm-hmm. that don't like hunting who are building their houses here and making their living here, 100%. watering their lawns here. So just to put a little more precise point on, on what you were saying, you know? Yeah. yeah. That, that's no, that's a, that's perfect way to put it. You know, you, you, people would like to think that their hands are clean. Like even like, you know, I want to take it to a, a different level, but like, you know, it's the vegan that I'm okay with. You want to be a vegan because you feel like that's the healthiest choice for you. Sure. Then be Go a vegan. It. But if you're yeah. doing it because you think that you're you guilt free, place? No. no, you're not. You know, like you, you could look at that a million. I've heard it said said before. You want to kill the most things. You know, be a vegan. You know, like those tons of little animals that die or whatever. But you also look at it from a different perspective. Like it takes what thirty three gallons to make one av- of water to make one avocado three gallons of water to make one almond, you know, like you think about it, like there's nothing that humans do on any level that doesn't have an impact on the wild, you know, that on the, on the wild world, you know? So it's like, you have to have the mindset of conservation. What are the things that I could do? What is the best balance Mm -hmm. that I can do to make this, last as long as possible and right. maybe forever you know i don't even know yeah. if, if forever is even a thing because if you think <laughs> you think about the way the world is i mean eventually the sun's gonna go away oh, sure. we probably won't yeah, have world but <laughs> but you know so it, it's just having that mindset having the holistic view of what things should be and and not be like oh this is the best this is this is the only and the and not look at everything else and yeah. what 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 can come from your you know yeah you, you got to be open minded to what's really in front of you um and you know another i think big difference between you know animal rights advocates uh who who advocate against hunting and the hunting community is we we are looking at animal populations um they're looking at animal individuals in mm-hmm. a lot of instances um, they see that dead deer it hurts their heart they don't want that they feel sorry for that deer um, but i can tell you hunters in the sporting community mm-hmm. they want robust healthy populations of wildlife now granted there could be some arguments in there about wolves and stuff mm-hmm. there there are a lot of those fellows that don't want don't want all those wolves on the landscape uh, i for one i like hunting in, in fully intact ecosystems and and i welcome you know all all elements of predator and prey components of an ecosystem and, and a lot of hunters do but uh but yeah getting away from that that myopic view of of just that individual animal uh is is important i think and you know this whole education piece of her you know what we're talking about here we've talked about how hunters can police themselves to paint a better picture of what it is that we do um and we've talked about education and and talking to people like you put it hugely important 
but man, what scares me is like, it's not going to be enough. You know, you work through how to educate people. And I think that's awesome. I work through AWF to educate people. And I think that's awesome. But it's like one, how do we reach more people? Mm-hmm. And how do we reach people outside of our echo chambers? That, that's what I'm, I've been thinking about. And I don't have the answer yet, but, it, but it's a, a question that I need to get an answer to. Um, there needs to be some funding poured into this. Mm-hmm. That has been attempted before. But it was an attempted in a way that privatized some tags. Um, so the sporting community pushed back on it because basically you're, you're yes, you're advocating for hunting, but you're also going against the, the foundation of our North American model. And that's wildlife being a public trust and not being privatized. Mm-hmm. But there, there's got to be other ways to get some funding for this kind of education. And of course, it has to be done truthfully, but also carefully, you know. Um, and you know, I guess that's, that's up to groups like ours to get that figured out. But I would, I would urge folks that even if you're not a hunter, if you care about wildlife, consider, consider donating or joining up, you know, donate to how donate to the Arizona wildlife federation, or you pick your group. Um, you know, I'll say Arizona sportsman for wildlife conservation and their, uh, their kind of offshoot Southwest wildlife foundation. They, they played a large role as well as a lot of sporting orgs did in pushing back on the last cat hunting ban attempt. And I will say not only that, I think the president of uh, humane society got into a lot of trouble in, in the midst of that. And uh, yeah, there's some sexual abuse allegations, things like that. Fantastic. That campaign kind of <laughs> campaign kind of fell apart, but um, there's a lot of ways uh, that we can, we can work to better our situation, better our view in the public's eye and, and try to get ahead of these, these bans before they get here. Cause again, boy, the repercussions of ballot box biology are are dangerous, and and they can go as far as your imagination will allow. Um, it is a true and real slippery slope. Oh yeah, um, that I would be very careful. I don't want to. I don't want to live in a world where native species are nobody. Nobody cares about them anymore, and and you know there's feral dogs and feral cats running everywhere, and and yeah, yeah. I want to live in a, in a place where we manage our wild places uh, for as close to their native state as we can. And we have these places that we have access access to that we can go out and, and enjoy, you know, these wildlife resources, whether we want to bring a couple of them home or just enjoy them being there on the landscape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to, I, as long as I live, I want to see this continue and I want Same. to continue for my children and their children. Same. Well, I don't know if I want to beat a dead horse here, but I know we know we talked about a lot of things and some of the things that we can do you know, as individuals, people who are listening in on this podcast, mm-hmm. what would you think just as the average, average person listening in that, what is, what is another way, you know, yes, get involved in, you know, the, the organizations get mm-hmm. donate, uh, having those conversations, was there or policing yourself? Is there any anything else specific that you think that we can do as as sportsmen and as outdoorsmen to? Yeah, there is one idea I've heard tossed around. Now, granted, I'm in my work. I am just getting in to this work. I'm educating myself. I'm researching. One other option is to make it harder to do a ballot initiative. It's already expensive. I think it starts like a million bucks or something. Mm-hmm. But these groups, they have that money and they have yeah, a lot well, more. Oh, well, yeah. But to make it harder to do. But then again, I, I don't want to shout that at the top of my lungs because I have not looked at the repercussions of that in other parts of our life and, and legislation and, and just our, our system, you know. But that, but that is one option. Um, 
Yeah. You don't want to, it's like, you don't want to hobble yourself, you know, cause you always have to look at the grand picture. We're, we're looking uh-huh. at something right now specific that it's hunting and fishing and wildlife related. Yeah. But something like that could affect, I don't know, something, a housing thing down the line, you know, yeah. or right. Some other, sure. yeah, it's definitely something you need to be careful. Of. I think, uh, from the hunting and fishing standpoint, two things that would be, now this is not something that an individual can do specifically, but should these things arise, please jump on it is if there is a right to hunt and fish ballot initiative put in place in places that don't have it. Cause there's States, I think 23 States that have it or it might be yep. 20, something like that, yep. that have it, that makes things a little bit better for the outdoorsman. It doesn't right. 100% give you, you know, 100% uh, peace of mind, but it, it does help. And then there is, I also see Arizona actually specifically does a pretty good job of this, but yeah, yeah, I'll, a I'll lot. Have, but even our governor, Katie Hobbs, uh, uh, wrote a proclamation um, to uplift hunting and angling earlier this or last year. Oh, great. Yeah. What I was thinking about is the commissions. So a yep. lot of the commissions are getting infiltrated across the United States. You're seeing it in Washington, right. you're seeing it in Colorado, you're seeing it in New Mexico. Because mm-hmm. they're appointed by the governor. And the governor is, whether they feel this way personally or yeah. not, they're definitely politically driven and there's people tugging on those strings one way or the right. other. And people yeah. are getting appointed that are not wildlife definitely not hunting and fishing you know pro hunting and fishing but some of them were not even qualified to look at things from a perspective of wildlife in general and i think that if you're going to be on a game and fish commission like that is an entity that is put in place to govern and regulate hunting and fishing that you should be a angler or hunter and have a certain vested now i'm not saying we have to put you know <laughs> hear all the arguments in my head already i don't disagree with you but I can, I can hear all the arguments oh yeah you can hear all the arguments but the the problem with the problem with the that that commission is put in place for hunting and like a hunting and fishing regulatory thing like you cannot have somebody oh you oh but we need to represent the whole population but the whole population is not hunting and fishing right so why should they have a have a a voice on what laws are made for hunting and fishing like yeah. that to me like you should have oh you may not even maybe okay maybe being a hunting hunter and angler is asking too much, but you should at least be a wildlife biologist or at least be, have right. some kind of understanding of the natural world. I, I don't, right. I think it's preposterous that I could be the governor of the state and I can elect my cousin Joe, you know, to be on the, in this position. Right. I can appoint my, my cousin Joe to be a, uh, appointed in this position and he could do whatever the heck I want him to do. Right. And if you know, their anti-hunting orgs are putting money in my back pocket. I could tell Joe to say, you know, I want, you know, this, 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 this. like there mm-hmm. needs to be 
listen, there's a lot of problems going on with our government, but this is something that we can, I think we can fix fairly simply, you know, just having a a certain rubric or a a standardized um, from state to state, like this has to happen. This has to happen. Forgive me if I'm wrong. I think in Arizona, you have to have had your hunting and fishing license for at least five years before you could be a, a commissioner. And I think and I'm not a hundred percent. You might know this, but yeah, hopefully you know this better than I do. Um, I know it's, I think it's called carb or something like that. Yeah, we have an yeah, organization recommendation board. Yes. So they can't just pick cousin Joe in the state of Arizona. Yeah. I know the commission, the, that recommendation board says, okay, here's the five people that you get to choose from. Choose one right. of these. Yep. So it's a little bit better here. Actually, yeah. it's a lot better here. But there's states like Colorado, New Mexico, where I literally can, I can, you know, use nepotization. Yeah. And yeah, we, we've been pretty fortunate in Arizona with our, we have a fantastic Arizona game and fish department. We do. Uh, thus far, you know, we've had, and the commissions um, have at really, least in, in my time of working in conservation in Arizona, we've had governors that understand this model and, and are upholding it. That doesn't mean they might not want to make some changes, but they get it, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, there is that, 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 commission uh, appointment recommendation board the carb who makes those recommendations to the governor and then the governor picks but yeah one bad governor can can throw a wrench into the whole thing uh there are you know i don't know if you call them laws there are rules that govern who can be on that carb mm-hmm. um but I, I, for, at the commission level surprisingly i, I don't uh, know what rules apply there? Uh, but I, I but I am more familiar with the carb process and and who who can be on that carb. But uh, so yeah, we got a pretty good system here. It doesn't mean it's flawless and perfect. No, it's not. But, you know the the tough question is hunters have made the investment. Hunters, you know, both physically and financially. You know, hunters are I would argue largely the most. Again, and, and I know there's other individuals, but largely the most involved in wildlife conservation. But the the, the hard question is, and those arguments I'm hearing, it's like, do, do we own wildlife? No, we don't. Mm. Wildlife belongs to the public. Um, and that, that's where waters get muddy. And that, that's where we need a public that understands the system and why it's good for wildlife. Uh, to wrap things up, uh, Arizona Wildlife Federation is, is looking at putting together uh, a, a coalition of groups, both sporting and non-sporting, uh, that can can look at these issues and and try to brainstorm uh, ways, more tangible ways. I mean, we've talked a lot about philosophy and ideas here, John, but uh, to brainstorm ways that we can actually get this, this information out there and get folks educated. Uh, and I, I look forward to working on that. But yeah, a lot of the stuff is 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 kind of kind of new, you know, throughout most of time. And I will say largely the public supports hunting, you know, when carried out in an ethical manner and those animals are consumed. So, you know, we've got that on our side. Uh, we just we need to uh, we need to combat this this misinformation, these images of, of kitten jaguars and things like that that are feeding people the wrong narrative on, on what this is that we what this is that we want to keep around. And uh yeah, I'll just say one more time that if you enjoy wildlife on the landscape, if you enjoy wild natural areas, you, you better pay attention. You better get on the side of hunters because that's why we have this stuff. And if we're going to keep it in the future, that, that's how we're going to keep it. Well said. Well, um, 
thanks for having me on your podcast and thanks for uh yeah, thanks for having me on your podcast. <laughs> thanks for having. Maybe us. we can uh, get back together and touch bases on this again in the future. Yeah, uh, maybe get get a guest on who has some some real sure on the ground policy experience with, with these. Models. I would love for you to speak to uh, Dan Gates on the okay. on, uh, specifically about Colorado, and I know you know you're talking about things in Arizona mm-hmm. uh, specific, but for one, the guy's a wealth of knowledge, but two an understanding of what they have done when i say they i mean anti-hunting mm-hmm. industry has done in colorado to get to where they are today and how that might trickle back to here yeah i'd love to send me his contact info please yeah we'll do all right john we'll keep doing the good work you're doing i would encourage folks to get out there and support how uh, support Arizona Wildlife Federation. Just support any any conservation group that you you tend to gravitate towards, or you feel attraction to. Uh, but yeah, you know people are busy. Um, you know they have families, they have they have jobs, and uh, you know they don't get to work on this stuff. This, <laughs> you you have a real job too. I get to work on this stuff and get paid for it. But uh, not everybody you know has that luxury, and uh, it's hard. But yeah, at least get out there and, and support whatever conservation group that you're interested in, and listen, pay attention, talk to people, portray yourself in a, in a positive way, and try to get this message out there before uh, before they do. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, John. Take care, buddy. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next show.